0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Brad McCulley to the podcast. Welcome, Brad. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it, James.
0: So, Brad, you are a business development executive with Advanced Technology Services. You know, you've been involved in manufacturing and one fit form or function for your entire career. Although super brief, what can you tell us about your background? Your and introduce yourselves for us and ATS, please.
1: Sure. So, um, um, I, you know, I grew up in a small town outside of Peoria, Illinois, and, and Caterpillar is a big manufacturer there. So that's where I started my career. I actually went to work for Caterpillar, and then um, you know, went through their electrical apprentice program, became an electrician on the shop floor, went into plant engineering. And then in 1985, we started advanced technology services on April Fool's Day. So we're actually 35 years old at this point. And our CEO at that time was the plant engineer for CAT. He had this vision that there needed to be, um, just like in the computer industry where they bought maintenance contracts, there needed to be support for asset performance, uh, production assets out on the floor. And uh, we we created the organization with that model in mind. And uh, here we are 35 years later. So I um had the opportunity to go back to school three different times and get three different degrees and and grow with ATS uh you know we started with 30 of us at, at ATS I'm the last founding member most of them have retired or done something else and uh here we are 35 years later um providing just over 400 million dollars worth of uh parts and services to manufacturers to support asset performance with uh, around 3500 employees so been quite a ride
0: Absolutely. I can imagine. Now you mentioned asset performance. What is asset performance for those that may not be familiar with that term or use a different term?
1: Sure. So you think about on production, there's a production asset that produced a product. And the way to think about that is uh, good asset performance is producing a quality product at the rate the asset was designed to produce at. And uh, and of course, you know, they'll run different shift schedules and so on. So the quantity of product that's produced, but those are the two key elements, you you know, um, does it produce a quality product and does it produce at the rate that it was designed to produce at?
0: All right. Excellent. And I know a lot of organizations use OEE to measure that. What is OEE and how does that fit in with asset performance? Well,
1: you know, at the end of the, it's a, it's a mathematical formula that brings together uh, machine availability, machine productivity, and machine quality to to give you a percentage, and and that percentage is a is an exact reflection of the output from that asset for a period of time. So, if I have an OEE of seventy percent, and I was to produce a hundred units in a shift, then I I actually produce seventy good units in a shift. The interesting thing about that is is that that number isn't really hard to to get to the uh. The key for OEE is really understanding where your losses are, in in availability, productivity, and quality, and then being able to drive continuous improvement.
0: All right, excellent. So we're using those three larger buckets: availability, efficiency, or performance rate, and the quality bucket to set to organize our losses. And then, in theory, what we should be doing is tackling whichever bucket has the is the biggest of losses.
1: Yeah, that, that's correct. When I when I teach people about OEE, I I put it in this order. I tell them that, that first, the asset has to be available to run. That's a, you know availability. And then productivity, when it runs, does it run at the rate that it's supposed to run at? And then when it does produce products, oh, how many of them are quality versus not quality? So you can think of it in that order. And then that, that mathematical formula created as a percentage will give you the, the accurate OE or output of that asset or even at the factory level.
0: All right. Now, this may be slightly redundant, but why should organizations be using OEE if they're not already?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there are some organizations that use it, some very sophisticated ones, but the bulk of them that I work with don't. And what it really allows you, it's its easy to, to look at OEE and look at the output of a plant or an asset, but availability, productivity, and quality, if um, data gathered appropriately, you'll be able to uncover where your losses are and then put together a plan to drive uh, improvement in that area and improve the the overall performance of your plant, both from a productivity and customer service point of view, but also financially. Eliminate those losses.
0: All right. Excellent. I think, you know, one of the key things that I find a lot with organizations that are using OE or looking to use OE is really defining what is included in that metric. Um, Availability is a great example. Some organizations I work with, Planned downtime is included. Others, planned downtime is not included. Um, is there a standard that organizations can look to to include what's to define what's included in that metric and not?
1: You know, uh, I, I think you can read a lot of different articles and and, and you can go on the web and look at what the industry standard is. But it, it isn't so important what goes into what category. I mean, I've seen a lot of variations of that. The key thing is, is that you're consistent. So as when you start measuring, however you set that that um, that measurement system up, that it stays consistent, so you get a good reflection of uh, of how you're performing and know where to go drive continuous improvement.
0: All right. So it's almost like when you're calculating backlog, you just need to be consistent, not 100 percent accurate to that definition, right? That's, if you're consistent, you can see what's going on with it. Is it getting bigger, lower, better, worse, that type of stuff?
1: That that's that's exactly right.
0: All right. Excellent. So now that we have OEE in place, what is OEE modeling? So we, we
1: use OEE modeling to to create a a baseline and a factory performance, and then use it to forecast um, what improvements worth. So so even if you don't use OEE, we we've, we've worked with clients to gather enough information to create a baseline so that you know, we'll look at availability, productivity, and quality through either the data that they do have and other uh, additional investigations to create a baseline OEE. So you can say, okay, I'm looking at availabilities here, productivities here, qualities here. So this plant's running at 65% OEE. So uh, And then we correlate that to the financial performance. So what we can do is we can begin to forecast, if we improve availability and X percent, and our OEE goes up five points, we can um, directionally correct forecast what the financial performance or the ROI on that investment and, and improvement is worth. So um, OEE modeling is really for people that don't have all the OEE data, but yet they still need to be able to, to uh, put an eye on, on where they're making their investments and what the ROI should be. So it, is a, it isn't a perfectly exact science, but it gets real close. And I've even had controllers at the manufacturing plants tell me that when we model that out, that it's pretty close. They'll do it one way. I'll do it a different way. And we come up with the same number. So they feel pretty good about the ROI of, of uh, asset performance investments.
0: All right. Excellent. So it's really, if you don't, not measuring OE establishing what your OE is likely to be and then also projecting that if we improve by 5 10 20 percent what is that return on investment
1: that's correct and the important part of this is you know when we create a baseline an OE metric and we show the improvement it isn't so important that the baseline is perfect what we're really measuring is the value of the change so there is a little bit of difference in the return but if I'm at 60% and I go to 65, or I'm at 65 and I improve to 70. That's the that those two metrics are are very similar. So um, there is a bit of a difference in the financial, the ROI, but it's directionally correct. So it doesn't have to be perfect math.
0: Okay, perfect. So how would organizations use OEE modeling? Is that what are they doing that when they're evaluating projects, uh, improvements, where they want to do PM optimization, all of the above, none of the above?
1: Yeah, it's really a great tool when you're thinking about making an investment. And and a lot of customers might have six or seven places that they can invest their money in, right? So it it could be supplier performance or uh, engineering changes or capital assets or just improving. So when you're looking at all these projects and you're thinking about where you're going to spend your money, you certainly, you know, you want a, um, a return on investment calculation. And when we don't have, um, solid data out on the factory floor to help do that calculation. OE modeling is great because it'll it'll show you um, what that that change from one percentage to another is, and and give you the ability to weigh out those projects and and make the right choices where you make your investments.
0: All right, so with OE modeling, we can say that this project gives us five percent. This one will give us ten percent, and so on and so forth. But we got to translate that to dollars. So does. The organization have a figure for what one percent of OEE is worth, and then we incorporate that into the model.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. So here's just a, a real high level, simple example. Let's say we do a baseline, and we've got we did de- we determined that this plant's running at sixty percent OEE, and the plant happens to be, and I'm going to make the math easy, a sixty million dollar a year plant. So we know that at top line revenue, that 1% is worth approximately $1 million. So if we go to 65%, it's worth roughly um, $5 million in, in top line returns. So um, now I will tell you something about OE that, that I think is interesting at this point. Most of the clients I work with, when when manufacturing managers and plant managers, when they're running in the 60s, um, they think they're running pretty well. Most manufacturing plants, uh, you know, think that that, hey, that's kind of okay. And most of the time, the customers that I work with that have a real burning platform and change are in the 40s. They're, they're really suffering. So, but even at 60%, there's still a lot of upward improvement in mobility. So it is just interesting. That's kind of a dynamic I've learned over the years.
0: Absolutely. Now, Where do you find, you know, most organizations are striving to get to with that best in class? Is it that 80% OEE? Is it 90%? What are, what are you finding is that best in class number that's out there?
1: Well, I mean, you can read on the internet. They'll tell you world class is 85 and and it all depends on how you calculate it. Most of the clients that I work with, um, you know, depending on what's going on in the market may have a, may have a target. Some of the the very best work that that we've done working with clients, they've gotten to 80% OEE. Um, based on where we set things up at. And that's a very mature side, and, and it's a project that takes some time. But most of the customers, they know they have an asset performance problem and it usually shows up in, I'm working tons of overtime to hit my delivery schedules or I'm not making my delivery schedules for my customers. I just need to improve asset performance. So we'll model that out because I, I, I can actually take the model and look at uh, direct labor hours and production hours And um, if we build a model right, we can say, oh, if you move OE from 60 to 68%, you can eliminate Saturday work. You'll be able to hit your schedules and so on. So we can forecast that. And that's really uh, the client matches to their current business conditions, not so much just picking an arbitrary number that they got to go
0: to. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio be sure to check out Irrideshio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP-accredited, project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30-times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Now, how do organizations get started with OEE Modeling? Maybe they're measuring it, maybe they're not. But how do they actually get started with this? So uh,
1: what we did was we created an Excel spreadsheet and we've got all the variables and inputs that we put in and and we model this for clients. So um, they can create their own um, spreadsheet and modeling within the factory and build it. Or, um, you know, I'd be more than happy if somebody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me. I'll send them our model and, and coach them through it. Um, and, and try to help them. So there's a couple different ways you can go at it.
0: All right, excellent. Now, what are the risks to doing OE modeling that people need to be aware of? Are there any risks?
1: Yeah, th- there is. So we, we create a model and we have an ROI. And um, certainly at the right-hand part of the formula, where we say, if you're at 60%, it's worth a million dollars. We move it to 65%, it's worth 5 million bucks. That's That's the easy part. The 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 risk is really do you really understand where your losses are on the factory floor because once we create in the OE models the easy part but once we really want want to go and make the improvements that we forecasted for those financial results we have to make sure we pick the right projects and the right assets that uh, that we go work on to drive that result so if in fact you miss the target you work on asset A when you should have been working on assets B and C to drive that results you may not get the, uh, the performance that you originally forecasted. So knowing where your losses are and what's going on in the factory floor uh, is paramount for success in a project like this. Now, one of the things that we, that we do do and what I recommend is when we create an ROI and we're going to go make improvements, um, you know, like I said, it, it, we're directionally correct and it's not perfect math all the time. So if we forecast $5 million worth of, of return on investment dollars, Um, the, the kind of the litmus test is if we miss the whole number by 50% and, and it still makes sense to invest in the project, then we're in pretty good shape. So that really eliminates the
0: risk. All right. Excellent. So you used that 50% there to help balance that out. Now, are you doing any type of sensitivity analysis or anything like that in these models?
1: No, it, it, not, not really. It's, it's pretty straightforward. And then we just use, you know, you could do that. Uh, we could add that to the model, but we don't, we don't do that. We just, um, talk through with the client where, where we think the variability might be and then put a number out there and say, does this make sense? Now, it's real important when I'm aware of the client, it's their decision. <laughs> and it's, they have to agree that the ROI is there. Uh, I just provide the tools to uh, to shine the light on the potential. But the controllers and the people in the plant have to agree that this makes sense. You know, this isn't a sale job. This is a consulting job. And, and they have to believe in the value and own it. Otherwise, it's not worth going forward.
0: All right. Excellent. So, you know, sites have to own it. They have to agree to it. We're going to have that risk. Uh, but we ne- that risk is manageable when we use these tools. That's now, right. what is the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with OEE modeling? Is it having a reliable data source? Is it having the right tool? What's the big thing that makes the difference?
1: Yeah, it, it, it is um, the data source. Uh, the, the more accurate the data on how things are are performing out on the shop floor, the better. So if you've got a good CMMS and you're using your computerized maintenance management system and you're diligent about that, you'll know where your bad actors are and where the problems are and where to go drive improvement. Um, barring that, things that, that I've done is interview operations people, maintenance people, walk the floor, look at things. So, you know, the other thing that we do, if we've talked to 30 or 40 people out on the floor and a large percentage of them all point to the same direction uh, where the problems are and the losses, then we kind of take that as a fact and we'll, we'll move forward with that. But that, that is the key. The, the better data that you have out on the floor, the more accurate um, your continuous improvement efforts are going to be. And the more accurate the OE model is going to reflect the changes. All
0: right. Excellent. So having good data, one of those major contributing factors. Now, if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing you would change in some of the OEE models you have seen or way they're used out there?
1: Yeah, it, it's um, the the key things are really the data, you know, wave a magic wand to make sure that I had the right data and access to the right information. But uh, and then also customer buy in, you, you know, making sure that everybody's on board and and that um, that when we move forward with the project, that that it's. You know, we're all we're all going to the same place.
0: All right, excellent. Yeah, that buy-in is a critical compa- critical piece. If you have op- maintenance bought in, but not operations, you might not be that successful, or vice versa. You know, you need everyone kind of bought into that. Which direction we're going with it, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I like to tell uh, clients that you know if you've got a hundred people out on the floor working, and you got a twenty man maintenance crew, do you want twenty people worried about the performance of the assets, or do you want a hundred? And, um, you know, everybody can have their eyes open and their ears open and be paying attention to how things, how things work and and contribute in some way, shape or form. You know, when I was a kid, I was an electrician out on the Caterpillar floor and I was learning my craft. Um, the operators would, you'd walk up to them and they could tell you what the problem was, where it was, what was broke. And a lot of times, uh, as a young man, I'd have to go buy him a cup of coffee. Then they would tell me what the problem is so we could get it fixed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: the operations people really know the equipment better than most of the maintenance people. And if we're working in concert together, um, it can be a real powerful uh, powerful team to get things done.
0: Absolutely. Now, what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today around OEE modeling? What well, do you want I, them to do different or start doing?
1: It, it's. Um, it, it, you know, it's a tool that shines the light on the possibility. I want, them to, I want them to understand that. So customers that struggle with making asset performance investments and making changes because they don't know what the ROI is um, or, you know, you've got competing uh, projects, I really want people to understand that there is a way to, to look at your assets and your performance and quantify those in dollars and cents um, to try to help you make better business decisions going forward. And you know, there's a couple ways we apply it. I've talked about top line performance at this point, where uh, where we're just talking about revenue. But there are some manufacturing plants that don't need more revenue. They don't, you know, their their product volume is where it's supposed to be. They're serving clients, but maybe they're working seven days a week when they really only need to work five. So there are ways to quantify and and talk about taking out cost and and reduce overtime and labor costs with this model also. So If you want to produce more product, um, you can do that. We can build a model to do that. If you don't need to produce more product, but you just want to reduce your inputs, which could be direct labor or others, then there's a way to model that out and and forecast uh, the value of that also.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, Brad, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about OE modeling. I definitely got some more perspectives on it. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, ATS, OE modeling, all these great things we've talked about?
1: Well, um, the ATS has a great website with a um, a lot of information and a lot of capabilities. Uh, we have a reliability center that we're supporting clients remotely. There's a lot of things we can do, even in tough times like today. So you can go on our ATS website, uh, fill out a form and, and ask for some support. As far as what I'm doing uh, up to this point, most of my interaction to the outside world has been through LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I've been... Um, putting a lot of different videos out there, some of it around OE modeling and factory assessments. So there's a lot of, uh, even even uh, business culture. So there's a lot of videos on LinkedIn. Um, I, I have a YouTube channel that I just started just late last year, which is um, uh, called Asset Performance Enthusiast. So you can look at some of the videos there also. But feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, hook up with me. There'll continue to be more content coming forward. And then anytime I'm speaking at a conference or I'm going somewhere where I'm interacting out with the, the public, that certainly will be posted out there also. All
0: right. Excellent. I will make sure to put links to all those in the show notes now, just to make sure your website is advancedtech.com, right? That's correct. All right. Excellent. So make sure to put all those in the show notes, including links to YouTube channel and all that. So people can easily click on that and get access to it. Now, before we go, what is your go-to resource for people looking for... Oh, information on OEE or these loss elimination activities we talked about today?
1: Well, um, you know, it's funny. There's a a couple books. You can go find reliability centered, um, maintenance books and you can look up OEE. One one of my favorites that I I got a chance to work with a guy named Anthony Max Smith back in the nineties. And he wrote a reliability centered maintenance book. He's the, he's, that's my favorite book, partially because of the emotional connection I had with him working at Caterpillar out on the floor and doing RCM events. But, uh, he introduced me to a thing called Failure by Name, which I I talk about in some of my videos on LinkedIn. uh, So that's one of my favorite areas to go, but there's a lot of reliability-centered maintenance uh, uh, books that you can read. There's a lot of people a lot smarter than me out there uh, driving continuous improvement through RCM projects, and I would encourage you to reach out to them and and look at those books and and, uh, learn as much as you can.
0: All right, excellent. Well, I truly appreciate sharing that resource with us. Brad, I want to thank you again for talking to us today about OEE. I truly appreciate it. Thanks and have a great day.
1: Yeah, thank you, James. That was enjoyable. Uh, Hope to hear from you soon. Talk to you.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.irridescio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.